0: Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicles sports writer Rusty Simmons, who has been a big help on our Golden State coverage this season. During our conversation, we went in depth on a key question What exactly can the Warriors do to maximize the rest of Stephen Curry's prime? Rusty, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, you know, it's been it's been a few weeks since we had you on the pod, and in those few weeks, the Warriors have played their best basketball of the season. Um, they have actually won seven of their past nine games. They could easily be nine and zero in that stretch. Um, they've been in every single game they've played in, uh, and Steph has been the best version of Steph we've arguably ever seen, which is saying a lot given that he authored perhaps the most impressive statistical offensive season in modern NBA history uh, about a half decade ago. You covered that season, the unanimous MVP season. Um, and I did a story yesterday kind of looking at this season compared to his unanimous MVP season, why this is arguably a more impressive season. Um you you uh, you covered that team you're on the road with that team you saw that team every single day you're around you know' we're, you're around this team as much as you can in terms of you know you're watching every game and and, and getting on the zooms what how would you compare um those two seasons for stepfan and do you feel like he is better than he was when he was a 28 year old unanimous mvp
1: yeah, r- remarkably, at, at 33, um, somehow I think Stephen Curry is better. Um, that isn't the way it normally happens in the NBA. Uh, usually you start to, to tail off at this point. Um, we've only seen three people in history win MVP after the age of 33. Um, Jordan and Carl Malone each did it twice. Kareem did it once. Um, so this isn't the norm. Um, I think he is better, but it's two separate questions. He, he's a better player, there's no doubt. I still kind of lean toward the unanimous MVP season as his best ever. Um, I know the efficiency numbers are catching up to tell us uh, how important everything he's doing is and, and take into account how long he's on the court. But during the unanimous MVP season, he never played in the fourth quarter. <laughs> the, the, you yeah, know, yeah. The, the Warriors were so good. Um, and he was so good at setting it tone that um, he would have these ridiculous third quarters and then he was done for the night. Um, What he's doing right now, um, he's doing it without the same talent around him and he's doing it um, in games that aren't seemingly as important, but um, it's taken him 35 minutes a night. Uh, It's still remarkably impressive, but um, he's not going to win the unanimous MVP this this season for, for a reason.
0: Yeah, he. I mean, the thing that I was looking back on his numbers from that unanimous MVP season, um, he was the first player ever to average 30 points in less than 35 minutes per game. Um, he had a relatively low usage rate. Um, you know, the, the efficiency numbers, like you said, were incredible. Um, you know, he was the first player since Steve Kerr, believe it or not, to shoot at least 50% from the field, 45% from three. And ninety percent from the foul line over the course of a season. Um, he also was that—that uh, that was his best defensive season as well until perhaps this season. Um, he led the league in steals. Um, his defensive win share was uh, one of the best among point guards that year. Um, and I think he's having a, a pretty solid defensive season this season as well. But you can kind of you can kind of argue. Obviously, his steal numbers uh, weren't weren't what they were then. Um, his, he, he is fouling less, which is important. Um, he's fouling less and more minutes. Um, he is, uh, he's shooting better from the foul line. He is, uh, averaging more points obviously and more rebounds. Um, so, uh, and his usage rate is much higher. He's doing it in a different way. He's, he's much, he's been in much more pick and roll, especially in the past couple weeks. Um, he's been, uh, he's been more aggressive. Um, he, and he, these are things that he's had to do, uh, because the truth is that's really the only way the Warriors are going to win. Right. Um, is if he kind of puts the team on his back and leads them to victory. Um, but, uh, he doesn't have the spacing that he had when he was the unanimous MVP. When he, when he had the unanimous, when he won the unanimous MVP, he had Klay Thompson, he had Andre Godala, he had, uh, you know, Harrison Barnes, uh, who, who's who people give Harrison Barnes a hard time, but he's still a legitimate offense player in this league. Um, he had those guys around him drawing attention and, you know, he doesn't as good as of a season as Andrew Wiggins has had, you know, he's not Clay Thompson and uh, you know, the, there's just been even more defensive attention on Steph this season. And the thing that the thing where I see the improvement, I think from Steph are a couple of different areas, but one of them is just the sheer physical strength he has. He's added five pounds of muscle just in the past offseason. He's the strongest he's ever been. He's not getting knocked off his his driving lanes the way he was a few years ago. Um, he's finishing through contact. His his finishing around the rim is, is uh, the best it's ever been. He's shooting more uh, around the rim than he ever has, and he's shooting more efficiently around the rim than he ever has. And he's also doing a bunch of – he's he's introduced a bunch of little moves into his repertoire that uh are so sneaky good in terms of allowing him to get space from his defenders get separation from his defenders uh you know he he, he can just with a simple hand swipe or um you know a, a step back he's able to to get that like half second not even half second of breathing room, which for someone who's as elite of a shooter as Steph, um, it's, it makes all the difference. He's really good at misdirecting his defender. He's really good at doing these little subtle things where he'll kind of like pretend like he's not really paying attention and then catch the defender off guard and go to a spot. And and the defender will be surprised by how quickly suddenly he moved. And then he's got like a, a half step of breathing room and he's able to, to, to get a shot off. Um, I mean I think I talked to Brandon Payne yesterday his trainer and he said that um, a lot of those moves were not a part of his repertoire back in 2015-16 just because they didn't need to be Um, but he's gotten so much more creative and his step back numbers I mean he's I'm not saying he's James Harden but he's he's shooting so many more step backs than he ever did and he's you know, beating guys off the dribble, and he's he's doing it all. Um, like, what we're seeing now is that offensively, outside of dunking, you know, putting you on a poster, you know, and doing those, like, athletic feats, he has no shortcomings in his offensive game. Like, he can do it all at this point.
1: Yeah, I, he definitely didn't have the dribble it off your foot, chase it down to the backcourt step back across half court and shoot a three like he did the other night that wasn't that wasn't his repertoire before but it's a good it's a good explanation of what's going on because he needs um, his release is so quick he only needs portions of a second to get a shot off him and we're seeing that now it it made sense for him to add the step back into his game Um, and you were talking about Uh, how he has these kind of savvy moves now to get away from defenders to create space. That's one of the funniest things for me to watch during NBA games right now is a defender is guarding him and Steph will give up the ball and you see the defender just for an instant, like take a breath, like, oh, thank goodness, I got the ball out of his hands. And by then, Steph is already relocated somewhere else and is scoring. And in the NBA, that's all it takes is a fraction of a second. Um, And Stephen Curry is taking advantage of all that right now.
0: Yeah, it's 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 one one thing I just watching some of his film and like going back and studying it a little bit deeper, it's just you realize that he's completely mentally locked in every moment of every possession. Like he doesn't take plays off. He he's even if it doesn't look like he's going hard, he has a purpose to everything that he does. Um, and he really is kind of a I know we always talk about how much of a basketball savant Draymond is, and he is, but um, outside of Draymond, he might be the smartest player I've covered, you know, him and Andre Iguodala. I,
1: I think um, you said the right word there that you said that, that there's a purpose to everything he's doing. Um, even in the Denver game the other night, we don't see Steph Curry lose his cool very often. And he goes crazy about not getting airspace to land and goes crazy on official, picks up a rare technical foul. And before his teammates can even really hold him back. You can tell that he's already under control. And then he just puts his hands on his knees and starts winking at people. He had never lost control. There was a purpose to what he was doing. He was trying to get a foul call, and two plays later, he got a foul call. And, and that, I think that's what that's what's developed the most, maybe, is his understanding of, of what he can do. He still doesn't get the all-star MVP superstar calls that he probably should. So what has he done? Made himself stronger, finishes better at the at the rim. Um, finishes through contact has learned these little things that, Hey, I can talk to an official. If I need to, I can make a show of it. And, and still he's just over there with his hands on his knees, winking at people having fun.
0: And the finishing of the run has been so important because a lot of the gimmicky type of defenses he's based this season, the way to exploit them is to attack the rent. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the best way to go about it, and um, you know, early in the season when he wasn't being as aggressive, those those defenses were more effective on him because he was maybe trying too much to get his teammates involved um, and get them acclimated to playing with him. Uh, but at this point, I think he knows, like, I just got to be hyper aggressive all the time, and um, you know, it's it's working. Uh, his he's averaging over thirty one points per game now, uh, by significantly more than he did a, g- a good. Pr- whole uh point per game more than he averaged in that unanimous mvp season um and he it looks like he's starting to get more traction in the mvp conversation um you know you look at the the betting odds i've seen him move up to anywhere between tied for third with Giannis to you know fifth or sixth um which a couple weeks ago he was not even in the top 10 conversation um so you're i'm starting to see that if he can keep this up and the warriors can continue to win games i still don't think he has a serious chance to win it but i do think he has a legitimate chance to you know be invited to that postseason ceremony where he's one of the top three guys like him joel Embiid and jokic i honestly think jokic has already wrapped it up i think jokic is going to be the mvp um i'm not i don't and I think he's deserving of that. I don't think that Steph could do anything to really um, vault past Jokic. But uh, to even get invited to that ceremony uh, would be an, an enormous feat, just given how mediocre this team is. Um, there there has not been uh, an MVP from, from a sub-500 team since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did it in uh, in seventy five, seventy six, uh, for uh, a Lakers team that actually fin- finished forty and forty two, and then since then, there's been two guys who've who've made uh, who've won the MVP for teams that won less than sixty percent of those games, and that was Moses Malone, who actually did it twice for the Rockets, and Russell Westbrook uh, a few years ago, um, but for Westbrook to do it he had to set the all-time uh, triple doubles record for the regular season. We'll have more of my conversation with Rusty Simmons right after the break. I I can't help but watch Steph dominate these games and the Warriors kind of either, either struggle to pull out these games or, or lose a couple of these games and feel like, feel like there's kind of a, almost a sad undertone to all this which is that you know as uh, as amazing as Steph is the it there's a real possibility he won't win another title ever again and for someone who has done so much to put him in a, himself in a position to be as elite as he is at 33 it almost feels like a disservice to him which is why I feel like the past couple of weeks have reinforced for me that they have, they have to do everything in their power to maximize what's left of his prime.
1: Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, this year, in a lot of ways, this might sound weird to some of the listeners, but in a lot of ways, this year reminds me of Stephen Curry's rookie year. By the end of the season, they had only eight players, six of them at yeah. that time D-leaguers, um, guys who had been called up. And, and that's what it looks like this year. No, no disrespect to the Warriors roster, but a bunch of these guys um, wouldn't have got a chance on another team and, and have played as many G league minutes as they have in the NBA. So um, that's who he's playing with right now. And, and you're right. He's done enough for the franchise to let him chase another title. Um, and, and they're going to have a really important offseason here to try to figure out how to do that. It, do you start considering James Wiseman trades? Um, What draft picks in this year's draft will they have available to move? Um, There are a lot of things that they have to look at because they have such a ridiculous salary cap. um, They might be limited other than that in in trying to get Curry some help.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's not, there's not a clear path. Um, We've, we've broken it down a lot on the pod over, over the, over the months, um, the different options. But um, the bottom line is they're so deep in the luxury tax that, just, they just don't have a lot of paths to add talent. Um, you know, you you would hope – I think they, they want to re-sign Ubre just because he's their only – there's no other way to re-sign or sign someone in free agency uh, who's at that level of talent. Um, so, you know, in an ideal world – let's play best-case scenario. Ideal world, they can somehow work out like a tra- sign-and-trade situation – with uh, Kelly Oubre to try to get a piece. Um, But, you know, they tried to trade him at the deadline and they couldn't get any decent offers. Like, I'm just not sure that that is going to yield the result that you want it to. Um, I don't think you're going to get a a sign-and-trade for a player of the caliber of, like, D'Angelo Russell, you know, which you were able to do with Durant. I don't think that's out there. Um, And then, you know, you have to start seriously asking yourself, are you – willing to at least be open to uh, to, to trading James Wiseman uh, because I'm starting to feel like they should at least be open to it. I'm not saying that they should settle for like a, a second-rate deal for him, but I, I do think that uh, it's become clear that he's not going to be – uh, an elite player next season for sure. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, he's missing pretty much the entire offseason with that knee injury, and by the time he gets back, he's going to be so behind the eight ball. I just don't see a way where he's going to uh, be a real be a real factor next season. And then, and it kind of and then you ask yourself, is it going to set back the entire team next season? Because not only is he not necessarily going to be helpful. But then they have to prioritize his development at the, co- at the expense of, you know, what's necessarily best for the team, which is what they were struggling with this season. So they're basically going to be facing the same conundrum next season. And, you know, by the time next season's over, Steph is 34 years old and uh, Clay's 32 and Draymond's 32. And, you know, that 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 year lost potentially is huge. And I still believe that James is going to be a great player in this league. But um, if you're looking at having to potentially lose another season because of him, that's a huge expense that I'm not sure I'm willing to stomach.
1: Yeah, you're saying it right. You're not – we're not saying James Wiseman isn't going to be a great player. He probably is. He's shown flashes that make you think exactly what Draymond Green says, that he's going to be an unstoppable monster at some point. It's just not going to be next year. And that's what the Warriors have to think about, is it is it has been proven in the NBA impossible to juggle both we're trying to win right now and we're trying to develop our next superstar. Teams just don't do it. You can't do it. It's too confusing. And I think this run that they're on right now has less to do about James Wiseman not being a good player and more to do about that confusion. When your team constantly thinks it's juggling two things, it's really hard to play. When you're trying to develop and win, it's just impossible. And so one, one thing that would be helpful of getting rid of somebody like James Wiseman is you're telling your team, we're going all in to win right now. Um, the Warriors did the opposite thing with Monte Ellis. He was a fan favorite, but the Warriors traded him and they told their team, we're going all in on making Stephen Curry, the star clay Thompson, the starting shooting guard. And we're going forward that way. Once you tell your team, what they are supposed to do, what their role is um, things work out better. So I think that's, that's maybe a benefit that the Warriors could consider with Wiseman is we can get a piece that helps right now. And it tells our team exactly what our goal is.
0: But the unfortunate part about that, right. Is that Wiseman's market value has to be at, a, at an all-time low right now, um, you know, coming although, off
1: Although I, I would, I would say the opposite. So I always say with draft picks, like the value goes down as soon as a player is selected. Wiseman we've only seen for three college games, and half of a truncated basketball season, I think his value is still pretty good. It's almost like he hasn't been picked yet. Um, So I think there's a chance that next year when he comes back from no offseason, no training, um, I think his value could go down. So maybe maybe right now is the time to go before people have seen a ton.
0: Yeah, you make a good point there because, you know, next season, I think everyone's every front office is kind of willing to give uh, some leeway to a 19 year old big rookie. Uh, But, you know, he comes back next season, even though the circumstances are understandable, if he continues to struggle, it's like, okay, it's your second year, dude. And it's like, it's, is it really his second year though? Because, (laughs) you know, he, uh, because of everything he's had to deal with. Um, But I had a pretty (coughs) candid conversation the other day with, uh, with a the, a knee expert and he and he he's followed James Wiseman's situation pretty closely and he he basically told me like they he's going to have to be first of all he's not going to probably return at the start of the season. He's going to miss the f- first month or two potentially of the season. So next season you're looking at potentially starting without both Clay yeah. and James Wiseman. And uh he said he's almost definitely going to have to be on a severe minutes restriction the entire season like he probably isn't going to be able to play more than 20 minutes a night next season um and i appreciated his insight because i hadn't heard it broken down in those terms before and when you think about it like that um you know maybe it's good that he's he'd be on a severe minutes restriction because they yeah. wouldn't they wouldn't have to prioritize his development as much we're giving him as many minutes as we can right you know he's, he'd basically be like even if he started, he'd basically be like a backup big. Mm-hmm. Um, Kavon Looney, if hopefully he has some some left in the tank because he's, already, he's been playing the most minutes he's ever played in the past couple of weeks, and he looks great. Like, I've been so impressed with Kavon. Um, but, you know, you wonder if his body's going to break down. Um, and uh, like we said, they don't have a ton of pass to add another – uh like helpful big or a helpful player really uh you know the mid-level isn't gonna isn't gonna fetch what it used to fetch um and then you you you, we also have that top three the warriors also have that top three protected pick for minnesota in this draft and you know it's looking like the warriors right now would have around a 60 percent chance of that of getting that pick of it conveying to them um get drafting somewhere between the fifth four and six range um Minnesota, I think, is the second worst team team in the league right now. Um, they've gotten a little bit better since the coaching change. Um, Anthony Edwards has has really kind of started to come into his own and look like a real face of the franchise guy. Um, so, you know, if you're drafting four and six, that's a real that's a real value. Um, I think if you I think if you were willing to package. Wiseman and that top three protected pick from Minnesota um, I think you could get real value and you know it might be a situation where this is the type of move you make like on draft night or right in the lead up to draft I think in a I think you would in a perfect world you would wait until after the lottery you would get that pick from Minnesota between four and six and then you would start asking around the league then you know hey, we're open to trading this. What what would you be willing to give us for this? And, you know, if there's a team, and I'm sure I got to do a deeper look at this, but if there's a team out there that's, you know, completely in rebuild mode and is just trying to stack assets, the, that is, uh, you, know, you know, a team out there that has, like, one all-star caliber player and a bunch of kind of spare parts and not a lot of good young players, that's gotta be a, a move that you're seriously considering, you know. Um, so but that that all that being said, I'm not I'm not sure the Warriors are only one player away from being title contenders, but I do think that if they can get a player who fits how they want to play and kind of take away the burden of of all the stress and everything that goes along with Wiseman right now. Um, they're going to be putting themselves in a much better position. Because one thing we've seen with Wiseman now is that this team is better going small. It just fits their personnel better. Um, You can play guys like Juan Descano Anderson, big minutes. And honestly, I'm really starting to believe that Juan deserves a significant rotation role regardless of what happens with everyone else. Like Juan Descano Anderson needs to be playing 20 to 25 minutes a night even if they're trying to buy for titles, because I actually think that he can help a title contending team. Like I I have that much belief in him because he's just, he's so smart and he passes so well, he plays so hard. And he's, you know, he's a borderline elite role player, Um, which if you had told me those words would be coming out of my mouth a year ago, I would have thought you were
1: (laughs) right. Yeah. Uh, You you said a lot there and I'll try to hit on some of it. Um, I'm with you. I think uh, Juan Toscano-Anderson is a closer on a playoff team, which is remarkable from where he's come from and, and where my initial thoughts were on him. Um, I'm not sure if he's a closer on a championship team, but a closer on a playoff team, that's that's saying a lot. The other interesting thing is I, I like the idea of shot, if, if you get Minnesota's pick, if you have a top five, top six pick, and you shop that with Wiseman – I can't see a team in the league that hangs up the phone when the Warriors call. Right. But you probably have to include either a really expensive sign and trade with Uber or Wiggins in that deal. And now the value goes down a little bit. What do you get? What are you getting back? That's the problem. Like
0: I, I, I actually think Wiggins should be a piece going forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that, that he can play, that um, he's a good number two or a number three on a team. But at that price tag, I think that makes the value of the trade go down. So I'm I'm saying every team will answer that call, which is great. That gives the Warriors a chance to actually see what the value is. Um, But then you're also going into next year in the first month not having clay. So you're back to Steph Curry and either Kelly or Andrew and Draymond for a month of the season. Are you in such a hole at that point that you can't get out of it? Plus, the Warriors have to deal with the fan backlash of you just traded a draft pick, Wiseman, and our second or third best player for a sub five hundred team for the first month of the year. You know, it's they do consider all that stuff, and that that's a lot. To, that we keep saying this offseason is going to be so important. That's one of the reasons why they're having to waffle through all of this information right now, and it's it's not easy.
0: No, it's a. Incredibly, uh, difficult position to be in for Bob Myers, and I don't envy him right now. Um, they're really at an impasse, and I don't, I don't, there isn't a clear way to go. And I think when there's not a clear way to go, um, the most logical thing often is just to kind of stay coarse and try to just do the best you can. Um, and I think that's, I, I do think that's probably what's going to happen. I think they're probably going to keep. James and that top three protected pick. And, you know, one thing that I would be curious or intrigued by if the Warriors were able to pull it off is, you know, if they're – if they get like in the – let's say they get – with their own pick, they get somewhere in the 14, 16 range. And then they get like a top five – the number four or number five pick from Minnesota. Can you package those two things to move up to maybe number two and draft Jalen Suggs? who. I am super high on. I believe that Jalen Suggs could be. um, I believe that Jalen Suggs could be a true difference maker from day one. I think he could be their sixth or seventh man from day one. I think he's kind of got some Halliburton in his game, Tyrese Halliburton, in the sense that he looks like someone who can come in and look like a vet from day one. Mm -hmm. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. He's got an incredibly high basketball IQ. He's skilled, he's great defensively. I think he's kind of – he'd be – the Warriors have been trying to find that secondary ball handler guard, and they just – they're having a hard time with it, and he would be that. And so, you know, if you're able to do that, are you really willing to just lose out on whoever you draft at number four or number five and also lose out on the opportunity to potentially go after someone like Jalen Suggs? I mean, um, it's hard, man. They're like – unfortunately, the timing is just not aligning for them. It's just – and we say it all the time, but this is the this is the real NBA, and this is where most teams in sports are. They're just trying to, you know, put their brave face on and do the best they can every day. That's all any of us are trying to do, right? We're just we're just trying to we're just trying to do the best we can, be the best people we can be, um, and hope for the best.
1: I like that more than more than almost anything we've talked about that. um, And I hadn't thought about moving up in the draft. I had only thought about using the draft pieces to either add to your bench, which would help or to move out completely to get a veteran that would help immediately. Um, But you're right. I I like Suggs play. Um, He becomes your backup point guard immediately and maybe the future of the franchise um, yeah if you can package something to move up and get him you're on to something because I, I think you're right I think he can play right away and and answer uh, so many of the questions the Warriors have on their roster
0: I like him even more than Cade Cunningham who's, who's, yeah. who's, going, yeah. who's going to be the number one pick in the draft I like him a lot more than Evan Mobley who is probably going to be the number two pick in the draft um, you know it's looking like Suggs is either going to be number two or number three pick in the draft and then if the Warriors get the number four or five pick, they're probably looking at Jonathan Kaminga or Jalen Green. Um, you know, there's a couple other guys, Scotty Reynolds. Um, then you've
1: down. gone into complete developmental role. Now you've got a 19 year old center who hasn't played yet and another high schooler who hasn't played yet. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: Like- I, I think if they were in that position where they had to draft someone at, at five and Jalen Green is available, I would. I think they take Jalen Green.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't pass up the asset. There's no doubt about it. But then you're well, telling
0: Green you, is a stud.
1: Yeah, like you, but you're team. telling your team we're going completely developmental.
0: Yeah, which like we've talked about is <laughs> is not what you want to be doing right now when you have the greatest, maybe the greatest score, the greatest shooter ever, playing the best basketball he's ever played, and it's there's a limited number of years that he's going to be able to continue to do that brandon Payne is adamant that he's got five more years of like high level basketball in him which might be true but i gotta think that if he hasn't reached the peak yet the peak's probably coming next year right which would you know as we talked about the this is the the sad undertone to the season has kind of been like as great as stuff's been it's like it's just unfortunate he's not Going, he's not competing for anything r- real. I mean, the playing tournament is the freaking playing tournament. Like, who cares? <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. I know I'm one of these days. I'm gonna have to like bite the bullet and do like a full breakdown on like the playing tournament, but I'm kind of avoiding that just because I'm. I don't think it's that interesting. But, <laughs> uh, uh, Rusty, I thank you so much for coming back on the pod. You've been doing great work throughout this season, been super helpful on the beat. Um, And obviously your depth of knowledge about this team comes through. Um, Where can our listeners and readers find all your stuff?
1: Well, the best thing, in my opinion, is still uh, subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle and getting the hard copy delivered to your doorstep every morning. Um, With that comes the ability to look at anything you want to at sfchronicle.com. And there's all kinds of cool stuff, online-only features on there um and follow connor because he retweets everything i do sometimes i even tweet it out you do yeah yeah that's that's right.
0: you you don't, you don't tweet it out so i gotta tweet that <laughs> yeah.
1: no i appreciate it I, you like uh you're like my twitter hype man <laughs> yeah.
0: our thanks to rusty simmons for joining me on the podcast always love talking warriors with him warriors off Court is a production of the san francisco chronicle Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at smchronicle.com
1: slash pot.